The Congress decides to organise a great international demonstration so that in all countries and in all cities, on one appointed day, the toiling masses shall demand the state authorities the legal reduction of the working day to eight hours, as well as the carrying out of other decisions of the Paris Congress. Since a similar demonstration has already been decided upon for May 1st, 1890, by the American Federation of Labour at its convention in St. Louis, December 1888, this day is accepted for the international demonstration. The workers of the various countries must organise this demonstration according to the conditions prevailing in each country. So ran a resolution passed by the Paris Congress of the Socialist International in July 1889, and the following year, International Workers' Day came into being. Welcome to Labour Days, a podcast about trade union issues and labour history. Welcome back to Labour Days, this is episode two. Um, I'm Daniel, you just heard Ed reading out uh, the resolution, joined by Ellie and our producer Liam behind the desk. Um, Thanks for rejoining us. Today we're gonna be talking about the origins of May Day as International Workers' Day. Uh, If you listened to our first episode, uh, you'll have heard our interview with Kelly Rogers, a Beck 2 rep at the Ritzy Cinema, who's talking about the Pictures Cinema Workers' Strike. And if our broadcast schedule works out to plan. This will be going out on May Day itself, uh, which is also the day of the Pictures workers' next strike. So best wishes and solidarity to them. Maybe see a few of our listeners on the demonstration or on the picket lines. We should also mention that since our first episode went out, uh, a general election has been called. Um, Labour Days isn't intended to be party political, but uh, we do exhort all of our listeners who I understand from our SoundCloud statistics number 257, um, unless that was just one of our mothers listening to it 257 times. Now nah, my mum doesn't know what SoundCloud is. <laughs> uh, well, either way, whether it was just one of our mothers or 257 different people, we do obviously exhort all of them to vote Labour. Um, so, today's episode, uh, as we mentioned, is about May Day. We're going to be talking a little bit about the origins and uh, some of the ways in which May Day is celebrated across the world today. I'm going to kick off with a little presentation from Ellie about the origins of May Day in the struggle of the Haymarket Martyrs. Okay, uh, thanks for that, Dan. Um, so May Day originally takes its roots in America, and as uh, as alluded to by Ed earlier in our opening, it's intrinsically linked with the labour movement's demand for an eight-hour day. In the late 19th century, um, the working class was in a constant battle to gain an eight-hour working day. Working conditions were beyond awful, they were beyond severe, and it was very, very normal to work up to 16 hours a day in in really terrible conditions. Um, At its national convention in Chicago, held in 1884, the Federation of Organised Trades and Labour Unions, which later became known as the American Federation of Labour, proclaimed that eight hours shall constitute illegal days labour from and after May the 1st, 1886. Uh, The following year, the Federation of uh, Trade and Labour Unions, backed by many of the Knights of Labour's locals. That's what a great name. That is a great name. I wish I could be a member of an organisation called Knights of Labour. We can can call you Sir Ed if that would make you happy. Um, so they re- reiterated the proclamation, stating that it would be supported by strikes and demonstrations. Um, so at this time, socialism was uh, was quite a new idea, 
and it was much more of a force amongst working people. Um, with a variety of socialist organisations springing up throughout the, the later half of the 19th century, ranging from political parties to choirs and other activities-based organisations, which is very much the sort of thing I'm in favour of. Let's set up a choir. <laughs> no, there should be there should be fewer socialist choirs. <laughs> a controversial topic for a future episode. <laughs> Um, anarchists and socialists were not at the fringes of society, but rather anarchists and socialists were the lifeblood, the lifeblood of labour unions. Um, so at first, most radicals and anarchists took a pretty ultra-left view towards the eight-hour demand, um, and they regarded it as too reformist, and um, saw it as failing to strike at the root of evil. A year before the Haymarket affair, Samuel Fielding, who was one of the famous Haymarket martyrs, pointed out in the anarchist newspaper The Alarm that whether a man works eight hours or ten hours a day, he is still a slave. Um, however, the movement just became too strong around them, um, and these radicals were forced to bend to the living, breathing politics of the working class. An estimated quarter of a million workers in, in the Chicago area became directly involved in the crusade to implement an eight-hour working day, uh, including the Trade and Labour Assembly, the Socialistic Labour Party, uh, the, the local Knights of Labour. And realising that the tide of opinion and determination of most wage workers was set in this direction, that's a direct quote from Lizzie Holmes in The Alarm, radicals basically decided to join in the demand for the eight-hour day, but set about injecting bigger politics into the demand. Um, and from that, there grew a sense of greater social uh, socialist revolution beyond the immediate material gains of, of, a shortened, of shortened working hours. People were agitating for drastic changes in the economic structure of capitalism. In one proclamation printed just before uh, May the 1st, 1886, um, one of the publishers' pleas was working men to arms, war to the palace, peace to the cottages, and death to the luxurious idleness. <laughs> I, I understand that that is going to be on the TUC's leaflet for, for this year's May Day demonstration, so look out for that. <laughs> the war to the palace. <laughs> the wage system is the, only curse of, uh, is the only cause of the world's misery. It is supported by the rich classes, and to destroy it, they must, they are, they must be either made to work or made to die. <laughs> A pound of dynamite is better than a bushel of yes, bullets. Yes, a pound of dynamite. That's a, quite, that's a quote from Dave Prentice, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. A pound of dynamite yeah, yeah. is better than a bushel yeah. of bullets. Just before he smashed that ice sculpture the with that sign. <laughs> Make your demands for the eight hours with weapons in your hands to meet the capitalistic bloodhounds, police and militia in the proper oh, manner. This God. is amazing. So they, they've gone from, the, the sort of anarchists have gone from totally rejecting the campaign to basically saying, we need to start blowing stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> 180 degree turnaround. Um, on May the 1st, 1886, more than 300,000 workers in 13,000 different businesses across the United States walked off their job. This was the first ever May Day celebration in history. Um, and Chi-Town, Chicago, was the epicentre of that. Uh, 40,000 went out on strike and these strikes were led by anarchists and they were spurred along by like real revolutionary ideas. This was obviously incredibly scary for the capitalists, not least of all because socialism and anarchism was gaining a real foothold amongst workers. That's, it's, it's worth just kind of pausing to sort of emphasise that, isn't it? That, you know, May Day, which has become, you know, a bit of a kind of ritualistic going through the motions, began as a incredibly sort of insurrectionary strike with a very, very radical demand. Um, like, 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 like a lot in the labour movement, you know, that th things that have kind of come down to us 
as as traditions have 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 very very radical origins, um, and it's 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 a shame in a lot of ways that they've become they've become so sort of ritualistic and have lost touch with that that radicalism. So more dynamite. More di- but London May Day more, March. More, more dynamite on May Day marches, but also more people should go on strike on May Day. I mean, I think it's really great that the picture house workers are striking on May yeah. Day, and you know, like as Ellie's explaining, like the whole the the, the whole concept of May Day as International Workers Day has its origins in this huge strike for the demand for an eight-hour day, for the demand to mm. work less. Um, I mean, later on we'll talk a bit about May Day in, in some other countries around the world where it is still, like, a huge deal and it, there are still labour stoppages and, and things like that. I think in this country it's much more of a kind of uh, festival or a sort of commemoration even sure, rather than a... Rather, so, than an, rather than an action. Indeed. Know. So target for 2018, more dynamite, more strikes. Yeah. yeah. Ellie, carry on. We are all about to be done by the FBI. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Prevent, here we come. <laughs> more and more workers continued to walk off their jobs until the number swelled to nearly 100,000. Now, it is actually worth pointing out at this time that all of these walkouts were peaceful. The anarchists talk a big game about bombs and stuff, but in reality... Um, it, all of it was peaceful. People were obviously concerned, but it never actually spilled over into violence. It, well, it didn't until two days later on May the 3rd, 1886, um, the violence broke out at the McCormack Reaper Works between police and strikers. For months, Pinkerton, Pink, Pinkerton agents, which are a private security firm in America, and the police had been harassing and beating locked-out steel workers as they picketed. Now, most of these workers belonged to the Metal Workers Union, which was seen as being anarchist-dominated. Um, and during a uh, speech near the, the, near the McCormack plant, some 200 demonstrators joined the steel workers on the picket lines. Um, police started beating them with clubs, which then escalated into rock throwing by the strikers, which the police responded to with gunfire. At least two of the strikers were killed um, and an unknown number were injured. Full of rage, a public meeting was then called at Haymarket Square to discuss police brutality. Um, only actually about 3,000 people turned up to that um, public meeting and a lot of them were families with children as well as the mayor of Chicago, uh, Carter Harrison who was widely popular and pretty sympathetic towards the labour movement or at least as sympathetic as a bourgeois politician can be towards <laughs> the labour movement. Um, this would change after the Haymarket bombing in the face of huge public pressure although he did testify that the crowd remained calm and orderly and that the speaker, Augustus Spies, made no suggestion for the immediate use of force or violence towards any person. But as the speeches were winding down in Haymarket, two detectives reported to the police that the speakers were using inflammatory language and incit- um, inflammatory language and incited the police to march on the speakers. As the police began to break up the already thinning crowd, a bomb was thrown into the ranks. It's worth pointing out here that nobody actually knows to this day who threw that bomb. Speculation varies from blaming anarchists to saying that it was an agent provocateur working for the police. There's never been any So they never actually investigated way. the bomb throwing at <laughs> nobody all. Nobody has any idea who threw the bomb. 
Um, enraged, the police fired into the crowd. So the exact number of civilians killed or wounded was never actually determined. Although it's estimated that seven or eight civilians died and up to 40 were wounded. One officer died immediately and another seven died in the following weeks. Later evidence shows that uh, one of the police deaths could be attributed to the bomb and the rest of them, um, the rest of the fatalities uh, could have come due to the police's own indiscriminate firing. Uh, aside from the bomb thrower who was never identified, it was the police and not the anarchists who started the violence at Haymarket. So eight anarchists, Albert Parsons, Augustus Spy, Samuel Fielding, Oscar Neeb, uh, Michael Schweb, George Engel, Adolf Fisher and Louis Ling were arrested and convicted of murder. Uh, though only three were even present at Haymarket and those three were in full view of the crowd when the bomb was thrown. This was never a trial to determine who actually threw the bomb. It was always an unapologetic statement by the state that anarchism and socialism would no longer be tolerated. It wasn't even really about the eight men who were on trial. They were just picked to act as representatives for the real target, which was independent working class politics. The jury in the trial was comprised of business leaders and it was a gross mockery of the justice system. Uh, the entire world watched as eight innocent men were convicted for their political and social beliefs. On November the 11th, 1887, after many failed appeals, Parsons, Spies, Engel and Fisher were hung to death. Louis Ling, in his final protest against the state, um, decided to cheat the hangman and took his own life the night before by putting an explosive device inside his mouth. The remaining organisers, Fielding, Neeb and Schweb, were pardoned six years later. Uh, by Governor Altgeld, who uh, who publicly uh, lambasted the jury on, on the travesty of justice. Immediately after the Haymarket massacres, uh, big business and government conducted what is seen as being the first ever Red Scare in America. Uh, so spun by the media, anarchism became synonymous with bomb throwing and socialism became anti-American. A bit like what happened after the First World War and then again after the Second World War, mm. I guess. Like, yeah. Mm. And all the time this was fueled by the fear of the other and also a bit of good old-fashioned xenophobia. It's true that many of the leading anarchist, socialist and labour movement organisers of the time were immigrants and this tied nicely in with this newly created image of anarchists being bearded, Eastern European, probably Jewish immigrants, with a bomb in one hand and a, and a knife in the other. Yeah, you uh, you get that in, in this country at that time as well. The figure of the anarchist bomb thrower appears mm. in a lot of fiction and literature and stuff, and they are usually also a foreigner as well. Yeah, I don't know why facial hair has to get dragged into it. <laughs> it's because it's shady, we can't see your face. <laughs> Dan Daniel has a beard, by the way. That's as, uh... as, as, as if the chin is the window to the soul. <laughs> So, I mean, this, these are the very radical roots of May Day, and there's been a concerted effort, um, especially in America, on ever since then to kind of to bury this radical red legacy. In fact, uh, May the 1st was officially made Law and Order Day for a little while in America. No, the world's most boring holiday. <laughs> yeah. what, oh, what, what are you doing on Law and Order Day? Oh, I don't know. I'm just going about my lawful business. <laughs> And you know they've set up things like Labor Day and things like that to try and to try and get around the the radical roots of May Day, but people continue to remember it and they do continue to celebrate it even if it is just kind of like a, a tokenistic 
march or or something like that and i agree with the lads i think it would be better if we all went out on strike and and demanded a four-hour work day <laughs> but at least it hasn't completely been eradicated from from history and from our memories Okay, so we just heard about the radical origins of May Day as International Workers' Day. Uh, so let's talk a bit about how it's celebrated now, um, here, but also, first of all, in, in other countries. Um, something I've noticed, it seems to be, there seems to be countries where it's a huge deal. You get hundreds of thousands of people out on the street, um, and then there's countries where it's not so, uh, it's not so, such a big event. There are countries that, because they've sort of, are or have professed to be socialist countries in the past where it's basically a kind of state-sanctioned holiday or there might even be a state-sanctioned parade or something like that. So it's very different in different places. Um, Philippine, the Philippines and South Korea, particularly in recent years, have had like absolutely huge and incredibly militant rallies of, of, of trade unionists. Like and in South, The South Korean trade unions are great because they all wear red headbands and so <laughs> the, South, the South Korean labor movement on the whole is very impressive yeah and, and they so. and they've suffered they've suffered like ter- terrible repression as well and and but have recently successfully contributed to ousting a very unpopular and corrupt president yeah and there's some really impressive high points of, of you know occupations in the car industry yeah and stuff. yeah good and for them um, well done South yeah, Korean yeah keep keep it up guys keep it up um in Turkey uh, particularly, May Day has always been a huge focal point for the sort of trade union and left-wing opposition to uh, the various authoritarian governments, uh, including the military governments. Um, and people might remember a few years ago, there was a a, a load of protests around uh, Taksim Square in Istanbul, um, which has particular significance because that was the site of a massacre of left-wingers during a May Day demonstration in 1977. 40th anniversary this year. It is indeed, yeah, and and for for many many years after that, um, gathering in Taksim Square on May Day was was banned by the authorities and was only legalised again in the last few years. So when all the um, Taksim Square stuff happened, like it, it's a very like emotive, significant like, like place. For the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in uh, the English speaking world, in America. Now the American, you know, Ellie sort of mentioned like uh, you know it still gets celebrated as 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 in Social Workers' Day, despite the fact that they have Labor Day, which I think is in sept- sometime in September. September. Um, the Americans, uh, well, migrant workers in America particularly, um, have kept the tradition of of May Day, even the tradition of going on strike on May Day. So in America in 2006, the great American strike of migrant workers uh, attracted hundreds of thousands of participants. What this was was a a protest against a proposed law which would have uh, made it a felony to be resident illegally in the US and it would also have uh, tightened up the border fence. So obviously still very relevant and Mm. current issues in America. Um, It was a a strike, as in people walked off the job, but it also had the support of a lot of businesses as well who relied on migrant and and sort of closed for the day in solidarity with the with the strike so it's a bit a bit of a funny one but but an but an enormous like struggle and it's significant that they chose to do it on may day i think um and this year uh, that idea has come back obviously with trump and everything and the sort mm-hmm. of anti-migrant rhetoric the anti-mexican rhetoric specifically um that idea has come back and the idea of uh, a day without immigrants again 
uh, has raised its head in, in America and apparently 400,000 uh, workers have committed to strike on May Day in America according to the SEIU which is one of the unions that's sort of backing it. It is, yeah, because as well, like, so they did this a few weeks ago um, they had the first like day without immigrants a few weeks mm. ago and like loads of people got sacked apparently off their jobs from got like because it's like unofficial strike action mm. so and you're talking as well with i guess with migrant workers people whose position is very precarious yeah. so like you're really you're really taking a risk so is there any kind of like union backing at all of, for this kind of uh a day without migrant stuff it's a funny one because it's a kind of coalition of like this sort of like church groups religious groups sort of NGOs. Um, NGOs, yeah, sort of uh, Mexican sort of community organisations. Um, but the trade unions, the, the way the trade unions sort of seem to involve themselves in stuff in America, they sort of do it at a kind of arm's length. So they, it's like with a lot of the, even a lot of the $15 stuff, it's like, it's not the union that's doing it, it's like a campaign group set up by the union. That's do- so I don't know in terms of, and whether they would, what trouble they would get into if they if they explicitly sort of called it, you know. Um, but there's certainly support in the organised labour movement for it. Um, closer to home, um, Dan mentioned at the top of the show, uh, the pitch house workers are going on strike again, and again it's significant that they've chosen May Day as a date for their for their strike action. And um, maybe we can talk a bit about like what we think about May Day in this country and our experience of it, and it's yeah. Well, it's, it's quite uneven, I think. It's, it's a... <laughs> I've got quite a funny story about May Day. Um, so when I was about eight or nine, I accidentally ended up on the May Day march, but this was one of the ones that just absolutely kicked off. So this is one of the ones where the anarchists went mad and like smashed up McDonald's. Oh, uh, when it was all, the, the sort of anti-globalisation <laughs> yeah, stuff yeah. was going on. Yeah. Like, they put the bit of grass on the Churchill's head. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. he had a mohawk. So yeah. I yeah. almost brilliant, got my head brilliant. caved in by the police at like eight, just completely accidentally. <laughs> uh, some guy saved me. And then I managed to get back to my house and my mum was like, I can't stop, I can't stop. And I was like, why? And she was like, your brother's been arrested for smashing up McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> And thus, like radical Ellie was born. <laughs> Interesting that, that the uh, the the initial, I suppose, the initial sort of anarchist leaders of the of the original May Day were leading sort of like thousands and thousands of organised workers, and the anarchists of sort of May Day circa two thousand and one or whatever were like smashing some windows and. Yeah, I mean, and giving Churchill a, a Mohican. Yeah, I think things were better in the past. That's uh, <laughs> undeniably true. I mean, uh, as we said earlier, like uh, um, this episode will be going out on May Day itself. So maybe you can listen to it while you're on uh, a May Day march in your locality. Um, I think uh, maybe all of us are going to be uh, on the London May Day march and then um, supporting the Pitch House workers afterwards. I mean, my, my feeling about London May Day is that, like, I'm kind of loath to be too critical because um, the Greater London Association of Trades Councils, which runs the London Made activity every year, has done a pretty admirable job in kind of keeping it ticking over, in making sure, you know, there's a march, the demonstration every year, that the day is marked, that the labour movement has some kind of mobilisation and, and, and that it, it isn't allowed to just sort of fall into disuse. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it's an impressive effort that, that those comrades have undertaken. But it has become a bit of a kind of ritualistic going through the motions. A lot of unions don't really tend to mobilise for it. And, you know, it is 
it is a little bit depressing. Obviously, the, us here in this podcast are coming from a kind of p- particular political position, but it is kind of depressing that this is meant to be the kind of annual celebration of 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 our movement of 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 uh, the independent organization of our class and you go on the london march and it's like pretty small and dominated by people carrying six foot by four foot banners of stalin and mao Um, yeah it's not the best advert for our movement and for our politics but i mean i I remember a a couple of years ago maybe three four years ago now um the mayday march in london uh the first one after bob crow had died and the RMT, 2014, yeah. yeah, 2014. The RMT made a big effort to get a load of its members down uh, from not just from London, but from around the country. And it was a, so. So I, it, I, I feel like probably maybe the majority of people on that were RMT members. Actually, yeah, there, I mean, there was but, a lot. you know, it, sh- it shouldn't it shouldn't take a like very widely respected and kind of admired trade union leader oh, dying yeah, course, to, but, uh, to, but, to get people to come to the May. Then my point is that if if I was someone who come down to like honor the memory of my general secretary who just passed away um come on at like what i thought was like a trade union organized labor demonstration and then you just see like dozens of massive portraits of joseph stalin like they were, there's absolutely no way i would ever go back to that mayday march or probably any mayday march do you know what i mean it, yeah. it's, it is very like off-putting i think yeah i agree but i mean i think i think the way to to, to kind of try and remedy that is well i mean take the picture house thing like we've said it's, it's you know it's great that they're they're going on strike on that day that that's a that's a workforce predominantly of young people there's quite a lot of migrant workers in that workforce a lot of women workers so it's quite it's, you know, it's a diverse group of people um they're gonna be on strike they'll have a you know hopefully a sizable visible contingent on the march they're going to be some of their reps are going to be speaking at the rally and i think that's the way to kind of improve the the character of something like that is to you know mobilize yeah, more people get bring, people bring involved more people into it yeah. Um, yeah so it so it isn't just kind of you know old hands and 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 that stalinists kind of having a having a day out yeah 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 i mean it's it's it things happen in, in other parts of the country as well obviously that are, that aren't quite so Politically dominated by the massive portraits of of dictators, um, Chesterfield they always have a they have a kind yeah, of a whole festival, festival yeah, yeah. you know, like three three days of stuff. You know, they they do loads of stuff. Manchester as well. Um, it tends to be the trades councils that that put the stuff on, and but it's it's yeah, it's sort of hit and miss as to where it exists and where it doesn't. I've um, noticed this year that um, in in quite a few cities in the north, um, the uh, £10 an hour campaign that the Bakers Union have been running mainly focused on the fast food industry they've been doing kind of May Day or, or, or planning sort of May Day related events focusing on that which again I think that's that's really excellent because um, it ties it to a sort of to, to, to a live struggle in the move you know in the class um, and, and to a kind of particular um, political demand in the way that the original um, May Day mobilisations were tied to the demand for eight hours mm. um i think that would be really politically powerful if if contemporary mayday mobilizations were tied to a demand like the 10 pound an hour demand mm. or, or or indeed you know uh, t- tied to the demand for a reduction in the working week yeah i, I mean, am yeah. so for that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to, to zero hours <laughs> to zero hours <laughs> yeah that, exactly that, that's the kind of zero hours contract we are in for, you know. um, well you know it's, it's interesting because Cor- corbyn um has come out with this, you know, this new Labour Party policy for for more bank holidays, and there's, there's been a bit of a kind of kerfuffle about that. And w- and while I think it's a little bit disappointing, and 
kind of crassly opportunistic that the whole thing's been hung on this like cultural nationalism the and it's about, it's about celebrating the same yeah. which I think is just really vulgar um, it is good to see um, a, a, a Labour Party national policy platform that's advocating so, that people work less yeah, yeah. we have you know, more time yeah. off because yeah. that, that, yeah. that was that was really the sort of um, uh, foundational like existential purpose of the incipient Labour movement was to claw back more free time. Our own time. Eight eight hours work, eight hours sleep, and eight Eight hours hours to do what we will. Eight hours to record (laughs) an amateurish podcast. Um, You know, Karl Marx talked about the, um, those struggles, then the kind of 10 hour day struggle and the eight hour day struggle being, um, you know, he called it a small part of the political economy of the working class kind of imposing itself on capitalism. Mm. And also um, it's, 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 an, it's an aggressive demand as well, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Rather than a defensive, to say, yeah, we want shorter hours, you know, mm. and, it di- and it directly, yeah, it it's directly leads on to a conversation about, uh, about labour and capital and how profit is made and, and all the rest of it. So, so I want, I've been taking notes here and I just want to recap all the things that um, uh, the, the Labour Days podcast team are saying should comprise a bigger element of May Day celebrations um, going forward. So we've said more strikes... Uh, more people to actually go on strike. We said um, positive, offensive demands, ten pounds an hour, a reduction in the working week or the working day, and more dynamite. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Do you think that's a fair summary? Yeah, Is there yeah, anything yeah. else yeah. people uh, want to one, add? One, one final issue. I mean, I was I was reading um, something from the thirties. More quiet. Well, yeah, yeah. We'll park that one for now. <laughs> that's that's contested. Oh, I feel like I have the casting vote on this issue, now, <laughs> and I haven't made my mind up on it. Um, yeah, so I was, I was reading something um, just in preparation for this, and it was it was uh, a, a, a Stalinist pamphlet, I think an American pamphlet uh, from the thirties, and it was having a go um, at the reformist leaders of the of the Socialist International for immediately trying to subvert May Day as a uh, as 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 a sort of class action as as a day when people would take strike action and and do stuff industrially and turn it into like a sort of festival celebration like fun thing and i was reading this i was sort of like i think this guy has a point but also isn't it like good that it's for, like fun. shouldn't it be a fun but you, you should be you, you should know. be able to have fun while you strike it shouldn't yeah. just be like have like have yeah. have a day so like i mean again i know we keep banging on about the picture house but one of the things that really strikes you about the picture when you go down to the picture house pickets is just everybody's having a whale of a time yeah. like everybody's having we're because all like no seeing jamie t yeah, and like yeah. having a little scan no, no one's but, told those uh, guys don't, that, don't what? screw what? face jamie t do not screw face jamie t <laughs> But you know, no no one's told those guys that going on strike has to be like boring and ritualistic. And but it's but that that question of like uh, sort of should it be like a festival and sh- or should it be like a should it be like action? Because one one thing we didn't really talk about is obviously May Day itself has a much older history sure. than organised yeah. labour yeah. of being a sort of festival and celebration yeah. and all that. As you say, like it does have May Day does have a, a longer history than than its association with organised labour, um, and, and and aspects of that history certainly have been to do with like the common folk reclaiming some of their time. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, and and I think it's important that if if we talk about it as a day when people should take action, it should still be a day where people enjoy themselves and have a good time. Yeah, absolutely. Well. I mean, I think Ellie's right about the picture house picket lines, and you see. Um, a lot of the strikes that the 
small independent unions like the IWGB and UVW um, have organised. Their, their, their picket lines are often quite sort of celebratory and they'll have kind of activities going on on, on, on the picket line. And that's definitely something that it would be good to see um, future kind of May Day strikes yeah. or, 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 May, or May Day any, actions. Or any, any strikes. Yeah, yeah. Or any um, strike. It'd be, good, it'd be good to see that, that combination of, you know, celebration and struggle um, being being kind of um, re-injected into, into, a, into an invigorated uh, May Day tradition. All right, that's about it for um, this episode of Labour Days. Thanks for joining us. Um, as you'll know, if you've been uh, listening to the episode rather than just cutting in now for the outro, we were talking about the origins of May Day as International Workers' Day and some of the ways in which May Day celebrated in Britain and across the world and had a bit of a discussion about ways in which we think it could be kind of invigorated um, going forwards. Um, our next episode is going to be about migrant workers' struggles and some debates in the labour movement both today and historically about issues surrounding immigration. Um, in the meantime, you can connect with us on the internet. We're on Twitter at labour underscore days. You can find us on SoundCloud. You can download the podcast via iTunes. Um, once again, uh, as we mentioned at the top, the Pitch House workers, um, one of whom we interviewed in our first episode, they're on strike on May Day. Um, so please support them, donate to their strike fund. We'll put a link up in the description of the episode. And of course, uh, the it's election season now, so um, we'll see you all out on the hashtag Labour doorstep, um, putting in some hard yards to win a uh, Corbyn-led Labour government. So thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Labour Days was presented by Ed Mustill, Ellie Clark, and Daniel Randall, and produced by Liam McNulty. Additional research is provided by Holly Smith. Technical assistance for this episode was provided by Daniel Ronsley and Alan Key. Seventeen, for God's sake! <laughs> You've got a steam-powered phone.